0: So we're in Ezekiel now in chapter 23, and and I'm going to warn, are there any children in here? Okay, I'm warning you right now, this is a rough study, uh, language-wise. But, uh, (coughs) Divine Secrets of the Oho Sisterhood is our title. You'll see why in a minute. These are the girls your mother warned you about. We're going to meet the two Oho sisters, Ohola and Oholabah. They're not real women, but rather characters in a rather graphic parable. They represent two cities, which are the two capitals of the divided kingdom of Israel, Samaria and Jerusalem. Samaria in the north, Jerusalem in the south. Ohola means her tent. Oholaba, from the same root, means my tent is in her. The tent is a reference to the tabernacle where God's presence dwelt and where he was to be sought and worshipped. Oholah is Samaria, where the Israelites set up their own tent, their own place of worship that God had not ordained. After the kingdom split in two, ten tribes to the north, Israel, two tribes to the south, Judah, uh, Jerusalem's in the south. And so the Israelites kept coming down to worship and the kings of the north didn't like that. So they set up their own worship uh, in Samaria. Uh, and so God is going on. Notice here in this parable, naming this girl. Say, yeah, that's that's their own tent. I had nothing to do with that. Uh, and so, uh, Oholabah. This in our parable is Jerusalem, where God had set up His tent, the tabernacle. Now I, I've said this already, but I'm warning you: the language gets graphic. It's probably R-rated, maybe even NC-17. If this chapter were being reviewed on ScreenIt.com, it would receive a strong warning to parents for language. Sometimes people try to justify crass, graphic, even pornographic things by saying that the Bible contains them. Well, the Bible does contain some very graphic languages and stories, but its content has definite intent. God has deemed it necessary to get his point across. The Holy Spirit is a superb inspirer of the writers, and he had them write only those things that were needful. Uh, I guess what I'm saying, is an insult to me when people say, well, you know, it's, it, this is in the Bible, so I'm comparing it to that. Yeah, it's the Bible. It's inspired by God. It has an intent to it. It's not just to be salacious. It's not just to be pornographic. It, it has a, a meaning. Um, so people need to get over that. Okay, so you've been warned. So here we go. Uh, verse 1. The word of the Lord came again to me, saying, Son of man, there were two women... They were the daughters of one mother. They committed harlotry in Egypt. They committed harlotry in their youth. Their breasts were there embraced. Their virgin bosom was there pressed. Their names Ohola the elder and Oholaba her sister. They were mine and they bore sons and daughters. As for their names, Samaria is Ohola and Jerusalem is Oholaba. The one mother is simply a literary device within the parable, it just means Israel was once a united nation under God. Going all the way back to Egypt, they were idolaters. We saw earlier in Ezekiel that their worship of the golden calf after God led them out of Egypt wasn't anything new to them. They'd already been worshiping idols in Egypt. And so when uh, they didn't know if Moses was going to come back down off the mountain, he was hanging around with God too long. They said, hey, you know, we need some gods to worship. Uh, and so Aaron gets involved and he comes up with the golden calf. It wasn't the first time they'd ever worshipped around the golden calf or uh, uh, an idol. They were used to this uh, in Egypt. The world had crept into their way of thinking. Verse 5, Holah played the harlot even though she was mine, and she lusted for her lovers, the neighboring Assyrians who were clothed in purple, captains and rulers, all of them desirable young men, <coughs> excuse me, horsemen riding on their horses. Thus she committed her harlotry with them, all of them choice men of Assyria, and with all for whom she lusted, with all their idols, she defiled herself. She has never given up her harlotry brought from Egypt, for in her youth they had lain with her, pressed her virgin bosom, and poured out their immorality upon her. Therefore I have delivered her into the hand of her lovers, into the hand of the Assyrians for whom she lusted. They uncovered her nakedness, took away her sons and daughters, and slew her with the sword. She became a byword among women, for they had executed judgment on her. Now, again, obviously, we're not talking about Jewish gals lusting after hot Assyrian soldiers. This is a national problem. This is a political lust. Israel wanted to be allied with the Assyrian Empire. God gave them over to their desires, and he allowed the Assyrians to conquer the northern kingdom. And in verse 11, now, although her sister Oholibah saw this, she became more corrupt in her lust than she and in her harlotry more corrupt than her sisters. She lusted for the neighboring Assyrians, captains and rulers clothed most gorgeously, horsemen riding on horses, all of them desirable young men. Then I saw that she was defiled, both took the same way, but she increased her harlotry. She looked at men portrayed on the wall, images of Chaldeans portrayed in vermilion, girded with belts around their waist, flowing turbans on their heads, all of them looking like captains in the manner of the Babylonians of Chaldea, the land of their nativity. As soon as her eyes saw them, she lusted for them and sent messengers to them in Chaldea. Then the Babylonians came to her into the bed of love, and they defiled her with their immorality. So she was defiled by them and alienated herself from them. She uh, revealed her harlotry and uncovered her nakedness, Then I alienated myself from her as I had alienated myself from her sister. Yet she multiplied her harlotry in calling to remembrance the days of her youth when she had played the harlot in the land of Egypt. For she lusted for her paramours whose flesh is like the flesh of donkeys and whose issue is like the issue of horses. Thus you call to remembrance the lewdness of your youth when the Egyptians pressed your bosom because of your youthful breasts. Now to the south you'd think that the kingdom of Judah would learn from Israel in the north the dangers of this kind of political prostitution, lusting after Assyria and then Babylon, but they didn't learn. They watched while Israel was overrun and destroyed uh, by the marauding Assyrians. Uh, and and um, this was no you know, surgical strike. This was no political takeover. I mean, this was brutal. The Assyrians... Maybe the most brutal warriors uh, on the face of the earth. You know, every, every new movie that comes out, you know, they have to come up with new brutalities, uh, you know, and, and different ways of showing how brutal people were. This is the Assyrians. I mean, they were the worst. They, they skinned people alive, they boiled them in oil. Well, to get you back to Assyria, they put a giant fish hook through your jaw and dragged you along. Uh, you know, a, a lot of people killed themselves when the Assyrians broke through the walls. They said, hey, I, I would rather take my own life than take my chances with the Assyrians. And it, was, it was radical. And so you're down in Jerusalem and you're watching all this, you're hearing about all this, and you would think, yeah, I think I'll pass on the Assyrians. Uh, I don't want to have anything to do with that. It's tragic when believers, whether in the national spotlight or just locally in our own church, stumble and fall. We ought to extend grace in abundance and seek to restore them. That's what we need to be about. But at the same time, we want to learn from them. We want to be warned by them of the dangers and the perils that we each face. Uh, You know, no temptation has overcome us, but what is common to man and with the temptation, God will give the way out. But the common to man part is what I want to key in on and that's the sense that Uh, If your brother or your sister has fallen, uh, so can you. So can you. Uh, And so we want to be careful. Uh, And so somebody's in sin, they're sinning, we want to restore them. We want to go to them in grace. We want to uh, appeal to them to return to the Lord. Set them, in Galatians it says, as you would a broken bone with gentleness and love. But at the same time, uh, they all stand as a warning to us. And, And we don't want to go down that path. Now, God kept mentioning Egypt. Idolatry was ingrained in them in Egypt. Now, that doesn't mean they couldn't turn to God from idols. It doesn't mean that they had a habitual addiction that could never be broken. It doesn't mean they were born that way or that uh, the environment was too strong for them. It does show that some habits, some patterns can linger and cause Spiritual defection. There's a passage in James I use a lot in this context. It's James 1.14. James writes and he says, Each one is tempted when he is drawn away by his own desires and enticed. Now the words his own desires seems to indicate more than just the fact that we all have a sin nature, that we all have a flesh to contend with. It seems to be saying that each of us has his particular desires that are more potent threats than they might be to someone else. We ought, therefore, to be extra careful in those areas. You know, sometimes a person will come to you and they'll tell you that they're struggling in some area. And if you're not careful, you may not really appreciate the struggle they have because you don't struggle in that area. Uh, You know, maybe somebody is struggling with alcohol or uh, drug abuse or substance abuse of some kind. And it's hard for you to really, uh, you know, uh, correlate with that because... You've never really had that problem. Maybe you're even a social drinker. You don't even understand how that could be a problem. And, and, and it, it can cause you to not have the proper compassion for that individual or to think that they're weak in some area. Well, yeah, they are weak, but uh, you know what? You and I are weak in some other areas that they may not have a struggle with. And so we want to always be careful, not necessarily paranoid, but I think we need to be careful around each other and uh, practice uh, an idea that, hey, I, wanna, I, I don't want to stumble anybody, so I better, I better know a little bit about some people before I just start, you know, exercising my liberties and and uh, vice versa. Uh, and, and just be a little bit careful here because different people are drawn away by different things. And things that maybe I can do or I can, uh, you know, experience are things that maybe other people just can't. In and of themselves, they're not sinful, they're not evil, you know, they're not on the black list. Christians always... It's so much easier to make a list of things. I'd love to just give you a list of all the things that you can't and cannot do, uh, or can and cannot do. can't and, Well, can't and cannot. That's more of a Pentecostal list. There's things you can't do and things you cannot do. But uh, things you can and can't do. it would be my list, and then I'd be happy. And if you struggled with it, so what? I'm happy. But I think sometimes in practice, that's the way we are. It's like, well, I don't, I don't have a problem with that. And our first reaction sometimes when somebody, you know, you bring something up or you do something and they say, well, I have a problem with that. Why? Why do you have a problem with that? What's the problem? The problem is they're drawn away by their own lusts. It's, a, it's something they struggled with. And we need to be sensitive, don't we? I mean, do you love that person? Jesus said, you know, if you love me, you have to love your brother and sister. How, how much love are you showing for a person if you're demanding your liberty, Paul the Apostle said, You want to do something that, that's not sinful but that could stumble somebody? Great, go for it. Have it to yourself and to God. Do it, you know, incognito, as we used to say. Be a little bit careful about stumbling your brother and sister. Do me a favor don't ask anybody, Does this stumble you? Because a lot of people will say, well, no, because they don't want to let on that they're weak or that it does. They might not even know what you're talking about. Well, no, I'm still standing here. They they don't get it. You know, so so, that doesn't work either. You just be sensitive and and see how the Lord leads in that uh, and uh, we'll get along. Verse 22. Therefore, O Holabob, thus says the Lord God, behold, I will stir up your lovers against you from whom you have alienated yourself, and I will bring them against you from every side. The Babylonians, all the Chaldeans, Pekad, Shoah, Koah, first campground, by the way, Uh, all the Assyrians with them, all of them desirable young men. Problem is now, every time you see a KOA campground, you're going to remember this Bible study. Uh, Governors and rulers, captains and men of renown, all of them riding on horses. And they shall come against you with chariots, wagons and war horses, with a horde of people, They shall array against you, buckler, shield, and helmet all around. I will delegate judgment to them, and they shall judge you according to their judgments. Now, keeping with our thoughts about sin and our desires, it can seem as though indulging them just a little is not all that harmful. We can even convince ourselves it is helpful. It will keep us from doing things that are full-blown. Sooner or later, though, sin just breaks forth upon us, destroying us, ruining our lives, and often the lives of many others whom we love. So, the, the real world example here the, the, the uh, Jerusalem Jews, the kingdom of Judah, they were dabbling with the Babylonians and doing the Babylonian kinds of things, and they knew better. They had the Word of God, they had the commandments of God, they had a little bit of Babylon, a little bit of the world and God says that's not gonna work sooner or later you're gonna be given over to those sinful things they're going to take control they're going to overwhelm you and and in the case of of israel he says I'm just gonna release the Babylonians on you Then, in our case in a spiritual sense all of a sudden that sin that you're dabbling with that you think you're keeping under control that appetite that you're giving a little bit it just starts to devour you one thing I learned Uh, And many of us have learned the hard way about the flesh that we still contend with as Christians. It never gets any weaker. You get stronger as a Christian in denying it and in not yielding to it. But the minute you give in to the flesh, it is just as strong and voracious as it has ever been. Uh, And so you can't afford to feed it little bites here and there. That doesn't that's a worldly fleshly devilish idea. Uh, and, And it just doesn't work. it's it's like all of a sudden these armies break forth on you and you wonder how your life ever got ruined. And so don't indulge your flesh, not for a moment, certainly not in any of the areas that you are the most tempted. Verse 25, I will set my jealousy against you and they shall deal furiously with you. They shall remove your nose and your ears and your remnant shall fall by the sword. They shall take your sons and your daughters and your remnant shall be devoured by fire. They shall also strip you of your clothes and take away your beautiful jewelry. Thus I will make you cease your lewdness and your harlotry brought from the land of Egypt, so that you will not lift your eyes to them nor remember Egypt anymore. For thus says the Lord God, surely I will deliver you into the hand of those you hate, into the hand of those from whom you alienated yourself." They will deal hatefully with you. Take away all you have worked for and leave you naked and bare. The nakedness of your harlotry shall be uncovered, both your lewdness and your harlotry. I will do these things to you because you have gone as a harlot after the Gentiles and because you have become defiled by their idols. You have walked in the way of your sister. Therefore, I will put her cup in your hand. Now, it's interesting that God said the Babylonians were those you hate. I thought they loved them and that they went after them. Well, a child of God can only have a love-hate relationship with sin. Here's what I mean. Here's what it's exampling. You go after sin, you indulge in it, but if you're born again, all the while it makes you miserable. You hate yourself even while you're doing it. We call it conviction, right? Doesn't that... It, you know, it's like, yeah, you know, my flesh and then the whole time you're doing it, the Holy Spirit is speaking to you and and you realize Jesus is watching you and and you just you hate yourself when it's over. And, and you resolve to never do it again and that kind of a thing. And so the Lord is, is he says, yeah, you go after the world, you go after these things, but you don't really love them. You don't want to do that. I've changed you. You know, Jenna talked about the radical transformation. Sean talked about a progressive transformation, but nevertheless, you're being transformed, changed day by day. And the things of the world, they, they, can't, uh, they can't satisfy you. And so when you're drawn back into them, they don't really satisfy. In fact, they convict you and you feel awful. Verse 32, thus says the Lord God, you shall drink of your sister's cup, the deep and wide one. You shall be laughed to scorn and held in derision. It contains much. You'll be filled with drunkenness and sorrow, the cup of horror and desolation, the cup of your sister Samaria. You shall drink and drain it. You shall break its shards and tear at your own breasts, for I have spoken, says the Lord God. Now, this is just a parable, just a figure. But I wonder sometimes if in heaven the angels and maybe even those that are called the great cloud of witnesses don't see things the way that God sees them. 3D is big right now, right? There's 3D televisions, and they're probably cool, but really, seriously, are you? First of all, the glasses are extra. Did you know that? You ever read the small print across the bottom of there? TVs, glasses not included. So then you buy these glasses. Really, are you going to sit there the whole time in your living room taking your glasses on and off? Held on what? Hello? Yes? Hello? Oh, 3D? It's crazy. It's not going to make it. It's not going to catch on. Don't buy a 3D TV. But if you do, I'd like to see it (laughs) just because it's a passing thing and it's not going to work out. And so 3D is big, but instead of 3D glasses, maybe there's some kind of Trinity vision so that we look the way we really are. There's a passage in Zechariah that comes to mind. It describes Joshua, the high priest on the earth. He was dressed in the magnificent garments of the high priest. I mean, You should read their description sometimes in Exodus and Leviticus. I mean, this guy was dressed up, gold and beautiful garments. But here's how he looked in Trinity vision. Verse one of Zechariah three. Then he showed me Joshua, the high priest standing before the angel of the Lord and Satan standing at his right hand to oppose him. The Lord said to Satan, the Lord rebuke you, Satan, and the Lord who has chosen Jerusalem rebuke you. Is not this a brand plucked from the fire? And he says this, Joshua was clothed with filthy garments. Well, no, he wasn't. He had on the garments of the high priest. Ah, but in heaven, where you have this perfect vision, God saw what he really looked like as a man without his justification, without his salvation. And so the Lord goes on to give Joshua a change of heavenly clothing so that his standing is consistent uh, with a saved man. But nevertheless, all this to say, what would I really look like in heaven right now based on my real heart life? What, what, how would I be dressed? How would I be dressed? It, it, how am I dressed, I guess I should say, as the angels are looking down on me? Uh, I think I'm looking cool, you know. Got my cool shirt on. You know, I'm styling with my uh, shoes and all that. But man, what do I really look like based on my heart life and who I really am? Uh, it's, it's interesting. Verse 35, Therefore, thus says the Lord God, because you have forgotten me and cast me behind your back, therefore you shall bear the penalty of your lewdness and your harlotry. The Lord also said to me, Son of man, will you judge Ohola and Aholabah? Then declare to them their abominations, for they have committed adultery. Blood is on their hands. They've committed adultery with their idols and even sacrificed their sons, whom they bore to me passing them through the fire to devour them. Moreover, they have done this to me. They have defiled my sanctuary on the same day, profane my Sabbaths. For after they had slain their children for idols, on the same day they came into my sanctuary to profane it, and indeed thus they have done in the midst of my house. Wow. Completely involved in pagan worship to the point of sacrificing their children. Yet at the same time, even on the same day, they would come to worship God in the tabernacle. You can't serve two masters. By default, if you're not serving God, then you are serving the world and the flesh and the devil. Uh, And so it's kind of an either-or proposition. Now, without drawing a direct connection to Molech and literal child sacrifice, which was going on in Israel at that time, in Judah rather, I do want to say that it's possible to sacrifice your kid's spiritually, uh, spirituality, rather, by getting too involved with the things of the world. It's your call if you are a parent. I, I, you know that's up, it's up to you what you want to do, but I, I say be careful because I've seen too many families over the years who just quit going to church because of their activities. They don't all backslide. This isn't some you know. Uh, boogeyman thing where if you don't come to church three weeks in a row, you know, you're going to backslide. They don't all backslide. They're still walking with the Lord. They don't all come to ruin. But neither are they serving the Lord. And one day, when you're face to face with the Lord, aren't you going to realize what vanity the world was and how you could have invested in the kingdom of God and invested the kingdom in your children and so all of us have parents we have our own decisions to make we, we you know nobody's putting a trip on anybody but I think it has to be said at least you know that there is a way of sacrificing our children's spirituality if we're not careful and uh, ultimately it you know I, I really appreciated what Sean and Jenna had to say tonight uh, I had the idea mostly thanks to my wife uh... that it was important how we raised our kids that they come to know the lord at the earliest possible age that they meet and marry christians and that they work for and serve the lord in some capacity uh... and you know along the way it requires work and some sacrifice to attain that uh... and so just just be careful you want to be involved in activities fine we were involved in activities it's it's not an anti-activity thing now, we don't even take attendance. You realize we don't take attendance, right? So none of you can have perfect attendance. But uh, and, and so you have to hear this. And I think sometimes we don't hear these these exhortations because either they go too far or we think they're going too far. And so I'm telling you, I know lots of Christian families that aren't, you know, that they, they haven't d- driven themselves into the ditch. They're still walking with the Lord. They love the Lord. Occasionally, they even go to church, this church or other churches. And, uh, you know, but again, looking beyond that, Jesus wants to look at every one of his children, his blood-bought children, and at the end of all of this pilgrimage, be able to honestly say, well done, well done, my good and faithful servant. And I think we all know that a lot of the things that we do are vanity and they're going to pass away. Now, the chapter ends talking about both sisters in a kind of summary fashion. Verse 40 Furthermore, you sent for men to come from afar to whom a messenger was sent. There they came. You washed yourself for them, painted your eyes, adorned yourself with ornaments. You sat on a stately couch with a table prepared before it, on which you had set my incense and my oil. The sound of a carefree multitude was with her, and Sabians were brought from the wilderness with men of the common sort who put bracelets on their wrists and beautiful crowns on their heads. Then I said concerning who has who grown old in adulteries, will they commit harlotry with her now and she with them? Yet they went into her as men go into a woman who plays the harlot. Thus they went into Ohola and Oholaban, the lewd women. But righteous men will judge them after the manner of adulteresses and after the manner of women who shed blood because they are adulteresses and blood is on their hands. For thus says the Lord God, bring up an assembly against them, give them up trouble uh, to trouble and plunder. The assembly shall stone them with stones and execute them with their swords. They shall slay their sons and their daughters and burn their houses with fire. Thus I will cause lewdness to cease from the land that all women may be taught to practice, uh, not practice your lewdness. They shall repay you for your lewdness and you shall pay for your idolatrous sins. Then you shall know that I am the Lord God. Now key in on that last phrase, then you shall know I am the Lord God. What God allowed to happen to his people was severe, but it was necessary so they would return to the understanding of their privileges and the joy of their special relationship with him. Some of you parents who've had children that get a little bit wayward, don't you sit there and think, What are you thinking? You would give up all of this, all that we've provided for you all the life that's ahead of you, the good life, for this, for this person, for this addiction, for this substance, for this little bit of freedom, you're going to give it up for this? And, 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 and so, uh, you know, a lot of times our discipline has to be severe. And God says, you know, I, I can't believe that they're going to give me up, the creator of the universe, and my special covenant relationship with them, for the Assyrians? For the Babylonians? Are they crazy? And so God says, I, I have to do something about this. I can't let this just happen. I can't give up my covenant people who I'm jealous for. And so he calls them back severely. His discipline was for their good. Indeed, as we follow Israel through history, though, uh, through her dispersion even, though it is severe... It was for their good. Now they're back in their land, aren't they? God is orchestrating the end times, events prophesied in the Bible that will eventuate in the Jewish remnant being saved through the great tribulation and seeing their Messiah in his second coming to earth. We see a lot of human history and we think, man, there's a lot of suffering and there's a lot of terrible things, and that's true. But from God's point of view, where a day is as a thousand years and a thousand years is as a day, he says, I'm disciplining my people. And this is what it took. From the time they were in Egypt, they were idolaters, and I had to drive that out of their hearts. And, and finally, after the Babylonian captivity, and then through the dispersion, uh, I have finally got them to the point where they're back in their land, but they're back in their land in unbelief. They still don't believe that Jesus is the Messiah. And so God says, I've got that covered too. we have got some things that are coming, seven years, tribulation. And through that time, a severe time, one of the things that's going to happen is that all of Israel will be saved. And when Jesus returns at the end of that time, the Mount of Olives, they're going to look upon him whom they've pierced and realize. And, and you know what? That's what it takes. You and I might sit here and think, oh, well, God, you know, he should have come up with another plan. You come up with another plan. We can't even figure out how to get peace in Jerusalem. Jerusalem. Every U.S. president has struggled with that issue. Every one of them, I think, has thought, I'm going to be the one. And every time, something happens, because it's not in God's timing. God has his own plan. And so, you know, I can't come up with another plan. I, yeah, it's severe, uh, but it's God's way. And God says, I'm doing it so that they might know that I am God and have that special relationship. Do I know that Jesus is the Lord God? Yeah, I do, but I also need to live like I do in submission with my knee bowed to His will and not my own. Uh, and uh, I know that that's your desire as well. Uh, you know, there's there's no sincere Christian who doesn't want to live in submission to the Lord, give his life to the Lord, give her life to the Lord, and walk with the Lord. Uh, and so, uh, lots of severe warnings and lots of terrible things. Uh, but, God is gracious and and still working in the lives of His people, and He works in our lives as well. Jesus came and He died, He rose from the dead, He ascended into heaven, and now He calls all men everywhere to repentance and faith in Himself so that they might be saved. And so, uh, you know, as I look out on our group tonight, uh, I know most of you, but it could be that there's maybe one or two of you that's not a Christian. You're, you know, never really gave your heart to the Lord. You, uh, Or maybe you've fallen away from the Lord. Do some business with God tonight. Give your heart to to the Lord as we close.